Welcome to the Mindful Life Podcast. Join me, your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator, as I navigate living my best life with the intention to educate and raise the collective consciousness around the benefits of living a mindful life. Each week via the Mindful Life Podcast, I will bring to you a range of content, including special guests that explore mindfulness, mindset, and mental health. Did you know I recently started a new podcast, Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. It's helping so many kids to find their calm and to relax. It's free and it's available via Spotify. Welcome to Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. My name is Marianne Eve. I'm a mental health social worker and I have a special interest in mindfulness. I run a multi-award nominated kids mindfulness group program where I teach children how to self-soothe and self-manage stress via mindfulness education and meditation practice. This podcast is especially for kids, for kids who may be stressed, anxious, highly emotional or kids who are overthinkers or have trouble sleeping. Each episode will be a single recorded downloadable meditation for children aged 5 to 13 years. There will be meditations for sleep and meditations for relaxation. The aim of my podcast is to give children a free, easy to use therapeutic tool to assist them to relax and to find their calm. The Mindful Life podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and thanks for joining me for episode number 44 of the Mindful Life podcast. Today's episode is a recording of a Facebook live chat I had with my good friend and fellow health professional Mick Ryan via his business page Soulless Wellbeing. Mick operates a wellness practice locally where he provides acupuncture, remedial massage and meditation. When I virtually caught up with Mick we had a long chat about the current pandemic self-isolation situation, how it's affecting people and how best to cope and get through it. We both agree that these are extraordinary times and none of this is easy. We are all struggling. It's a global storm that's creating a collective consciousness of fear and anxiety. But with connection, self-care and support from others, along with acceptance of what is, we will get through this. Please note the information and views provided in this episode relate to the Australian experience of COVID-19 and are current on the 15th of April 2020. A big thanks also to Mick for so generously sharing this audio with me for use in this episode. To hear more from Mick, please head over to his podcast, More Than Wellness. So um, first off, I'll start with, you know, just tell people who you are and and what you do. Sure. So I am, um, sorry, just closing my phone off. I am um, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker. Um, so I have a private practice in the main street of Lorimer Town Centre here in Doreen. So I've been in the main street for about nine years, uh, nine years this month actually, uh, working with individuals, families and children, um, assisting them with their mental health and their wellbeing. So provide one-on-one counselling um, predominantly, but I also run some mindfulness programs for adults and kids as well. Um, so yeah, I've been working with the community for a long time. I know the community very well, and I've also lived here for the last couple of years as well. So tell me, what is the role of a mental health counsellor? What, what do you do overall? Well, I, I get um, most of my referrals from GPs. So doctors refer clients in who may have um, specific mental health issues. They may have depression anxiety or they may have um, some life changes, some transitions that they're not coping with where they need some support. So I provide counselling. So they come and see me one-on-one and it might be weekly, might be fortnightly. um, And we have around a 50 minute to an hour session where really it's just talking therapy, but it's support um, and it's 
um, I suppose just guiding the client um, around strategies and around mindset um, and just supporting them through their difficulties. So sometimes I might see someone for two or three sessions, sometimes longer. I've had some people that have been with me for four or five years, some people come and go. I'm finding, and I'm sure we'll get into talking about this as we go along, but I'm finding that people are coming back, particularly over the last month. So I'm seeing people who I haven't seen probably for about six months or even a couple of years who are kind of coming knocking via a text message saying, I'm really not coping. Can I um, come and have a bit of a chat? So that's the nature of the work I do. It can be a bit of a revolving door, but that's not necessarily a negative. People come and go when they need support. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me, as as a, a counsellor then, do you, because I, I don't fully understand, um, I guess, what the difference between a psychologist, a counsellor, a mm. uh, psychotherapist, um, and is it a case that you provide solutions for people or is it just, you know, to provide a, a, an ear that, that somebody can talk to? Is it both of those things? Is it far more than that? All of the above. So, um, look, I'm a mental health social worker. Um, I'm very similar. You know, what we do is very similar to a psychologist. We provide psychology. We can't do the psychologically psychological assessments and IQ assessments that a psychologist can do. But we, I guess as social workers, we provide um, a very holistic assessment. We look at the person in their environment. We look at the family systems. We look at um, how everything that they're living through is influencing them. Um, and we provide strategies, we provide um, support, we reflect back to the client what we see the issues are. And it's all in a very non-judgmental, um, supportive manner. Um, so, yeah, look very similar to a psychologist, but it's, it's really about... Um, highlighting strengths and assisting the client to move forward but it's as a social worker I'm very client-centered so you start where the client's at some clients want to might want to talk about their past and you know past traumas or some might just want to move forward show me how I can move forward and let go of what's holding me back give me the strategies and the tools to move forward okay um because one thing uh, and for you obviously it's a, it's a big thing um is mindfulness and um, feel like that's something that's changed maybe over the last 10 years or so mm. with mental health uh, practitioners is that mindfulness has become a really really big part of what you do and I'm, I, I feel like that wasn't always the case um, mm. that it has as it's come more to the fore and, and really being implemented a lot more for mental health practitioners is that the case absolutely so you know, I have a special interest in mindfulness, as you know, and, and, you know, as I think you do as well, you know, we know that mindfulness has been around in some form for around 2000 years. It started with Buddhism, but in the last, as you've said, about 10 years, it's received a lot of recognition um, in the psychology world and in the science world and the medical world. You know, GPs are even recommending practicing mindfulness now. So there's this real recognition that it is now an evidence-based Therapy, because as mental health workers, we do need to provide evidence-based therapy, which really just means we need to be able to show that the therapy will work. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of studies and a lot of research being done on mindfulness practice and specifically meditation, which is really exciting. And I know that's your field of expertise. You know, that's your passion as well, um, that meditation is now seen as um, a reputed kind of therapy or, or a therapy that we can add in. Um, so I think that's really exciting because it's natural, you know, mindfulness and meditation practice, it's, it's natural. It's just about using what you have within and your own resources and working on your mindset and, you know, using your breath and using what you have around you. And, um, I think that's really exciting and it's something I like to work with as well with my clients. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And, and the, the research, the scientific mm. research uh, that supports meditation and mindfulness is quite incredible like mm. the, the things that they discovered and, and not just you know 
changes in in mood and, and how you deal with stress, but actual physiological changes, mm. like changes in the, the brain structure and changes in how you deal with physically with pain. Yes. The reductions in inflammation in the body. It's quite incredible. Absolutely. And, and yeah. look, a lot of pain management clinics are using meditation now as a strategy, as a form of therapy, you know, teaching um, patients to sit with the pain, that they can sit with it. They don't have to judge it. They can just be with it and breathe into it and, so I think that's really exciting and um, it really helps empower the client too because they feel like they've got the resources within them. Oh, I can do this. Once I yeah. learn how to do it, you know, I don't necessarily have to rely on other things. I've, I've got those resources. You know, I can use my breath or I can use my thoughts or the way I'm thinking or things in my environment to, to assist me to move forward. So it's exciting. It's like that old saying, you know, give a man a fish and you feed him mm. for a day. Give a man, I teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. And the same with meditation. You teach somebody to meditate mm. and they always have that skill. They always have that ability to do that. It's it's so true, Mick. And look, as you know, I run kids' mindfulness programs, which sadly at the moment are on hold because it's a group uh, program. Yeah. But teaching kids meditation, you know, and it becomes second nature and you know, they've learnt that, okay, I can deal with my stress just by focusing on my breath and, um, you know, going inwards um, and sitting quietly and being still. So, you know, we think of ourselves, you know, if we had have learnt that as children, how different would things be for us today and our ability to cope? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. I, I wish I discovered it much earlier. Yeah. It really has a profound effect. Um, I'm just going to do an aside here for a moment because uh, Kerry Ellis has a question for you, a couple of sure. questions for you. Um, are you doing appointments online or via phone at the moment? Great question. Yeah. Sorry, was there more to that? Uh, no, there is a couple more. Um, so it, it's, are you accepting new referrals and are we able to use Medicare mental health care plan sessions with Oh, whoever's asking that is speaking my language. So I take my referrals from GPs. So absolutely, um, get your mental health care plan. So that's about getting to your GP. You can do that via telehealth. A lot of GPs are seeing clients really in this way, whether it be via Zoom or just over the phone. So you can most definitely, as long as there's no significant risk issues, as long as you're safe in terms of your mental health, a GP will happily issue you um, a, a mental health care plan via the phone that you could pick up um, just from reception. Um, and then that entitles you to telehealth. So I am doing online um, counselling just like I'm doing right here with Mick. So it's just using Zoom, which Mick, it's very simple, isn't it? Um, very using simple, Zoom, so very yeah. easy, it's free. So I had, over the last two days, I've had, you know, 12 um, Zoom calls with, with clients. I can also just do telephone. I've got some older clients who aren't sort of comfortable or au fait with this. So we just do old-fashioned telephone or FaceTime. Um, and I'm also doing walk and talk. So that's, um, you know, I'll talk about this a little bit more in terms of opportunity that can come out of this pandemic. Had an idea, a client gave me an idea about uh, doing walk and talk therapy. So basically maintaining social distancing. We go for a walk for four kilometers and we chat. So it's really exciting. And I had two of those sessions today and I had two yesterday. So I've walked 16 kilometers in the last two days with clients. So it's exciting because it's getting clients out to get their exercise. So it's working on the body and the mind. Um, fantastic. So that's an exciting thing that's come out of um, this crisis, I guess, that I've found a new service and it's bringing some new clients in. So absolutely taking new referrals. Um, you know, Mick and I will put all our contact details in. Um, the notes are in the comments. Um, I think we've you've, you've tag our pages in so people can just contact yeah. me via my page or, you know, I'll put my mobile up there as well. Um, yeah, most people... I think you can find you easy enough in Dorian, yeah. um, mental health um, counselling, isn't it? And, and yeah, look, at, and look, you know, just Google me, Marianne Eve, yeah. surname's Eve. I come up straight away. My mobile number's there when you Google me. So, and the Lorimer GPs, um, all of them, and you know, I know I'm speaking just some local language here, but that's our main GP clinic here, Lorimer uh, Medical Centre. They all know me, so they all refer to me. So if you were to head over there, you would, probably be referred to me anyway and in case people are wondering uh no you don't have to broadcast your private session on facebook live no 
<laughs> no, so I'm bound by very strict confidentiality. Um, you know, I obviously live in this community, so I yeah, I have very strong boundaries around confidentiality. Um, so yeah, whatever's said in the room stays in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And Kerry also had another question. Uh, do you accept NDIS for the kids mindfulness groups? Absolutely. So um, I have probably about. 30% of my kids are NDIS funded for the kids mindfulness groups. So yeah, absolutely. And I love, um, yeah, I love my kids that need that little bit of extra love. I have, uh, yeah, as I said, probably about 30% of the kids um, have some sort of developmental disorder and um, that's challenging, but it's fun. And I see great progress with those kids. So yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, okay. So I, I just wanted to go back then. Um while we're waiting if anyone has any questions please feel free to join in but um you wanted to talk about before what you mentioned to me was uh, the importance of connection and mm. um, at the moment with everything that's going on yeah look i think um this idea of self-isolation social isolation um you know physical or social distancing like it's those words are so stigmatizing in themselves. Um, I think anything that says isolation, you know, obviously that means that we're alone or potentially people can be alone. So that concerns me that people are alone during this. And what we know um, about mental health and well-being is that the strongest predictor um, of good mental health and well-being is connection. So if you are well connected to others, to community, to networks, um, you know that that is how you maintain good mental health and well-being so I think well not I think I know that it's vital that people stay connected during this um, pandemic so reaching out and I know physically we can't go and have a coffee with someone but you know Mick and I we're great friends we're here chatting we're having our cup of tea it's as simple as that um, figure out zoom you know I I know technology can be scary. It's scary for me sometimes and I just bumble my way through and figure it out eventually. Um, but, you know, the Zoom, there's FaceTime, um, there's the old-fashioned telephone, just connect with people. I think that's really important um, and it really should be called physical distancing, I think, um, rather than social distancing. Um, you know, you can be physically distant with someone, but you can still be connecting. You know, I'm, I'm Zooming with some girlfriends in the Netherlands on Friday night. We're going to have a bit of a, um, yeah, a bit of a couple of drinks together on Friday night from halfway across the world. So you can do it. You can still stay connected and teach others how to do it. You know, there's some great stories of people teaching grandparents how to FaceTime. And so I think that's really important. Check in on each other. Vital. Yeah, um, and and the great thing is, you know, FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, uh, Zoom, Skype, mm. they're all free. Mm. You know, you, you you're looking face to face with somebody, you're chatting to them. You know, you may as well be in the same room. You could you could have a you know a beer or a cup of tea or whatever the case yep. may be. Is your you know I, I have a friend who's having an online birthday party. And, <laughs> um, I think there's. And there's party apps you can set up to just get everyone all online at the same time. And, yeah. you know, I remember uh, growing up in Ireland in the 80s and, and um, we had family all over the world and America and Canada and South Africa and stuff like that. And my nanny loved to talk. So she was always ringing them up and her phone bills were into the hundreds of pounds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and every time she got a phone bill, she nearly had a heart attack. Now, you know, you can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. You can look face-to-face -face at them yeah. and it doesn't cost anything. And it's in real time. That's the most yeah. beautiful thing. You know, here, I'll show you this or you can respond. And, you know, as you were talking, then I was thinking about um, some research I was reading where they were talking about people who are experiencing pain and when they showed them a photo of their loved ones or their loved ones on a screen, they reported reductions in their physical pain. And they said the same thing can happen with psychological pain as well. But if we see a loved one or someone who we're connected with, it releases oxytocin. So we immediately feel good and we feel connected. So, you know, it's just that simple. It's just about making the effort. And I'm hearing of people that are reaching out to people that they haven't reached out to for a while. So maybe that's a real positive. Yeah. 
It is. It's it's interesting that as we have become more physically isolated from each other, we actually seem to become more um, connected mm. to each other in, in many different ways. I mean, like, for example, the Dorian Community Spirit page that was set up, you know, yes. everyone's just so community orientated and wanting to help each other and reaching out and connecting with people that you never connected with before. That's right. In, in a different way. It, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, all the offers of help and support. Yeah. You know, that's that's amazing too. So, you know, these, this kind of thing brings out a really positive connection as well. Yeah, it really does. Um, one thing with, with the importance of connection for me that is really highlighted at the moment is the importance of connecting with the self. Mm. It's a great opportunity for is, you know, really in, in developing a relationship with ourselves that oftentimes we don't have such a strong relationship with ourselves because we're always looking outside of ourselves mm. and now well you know we have plenty of time for that now like as in with meditation it's a great opportunity just to get to know yourself that little bit better yeah and that can be comfortable or it can be uncomfortable can't it so can be very uncomfortable yeah it's <laughs> about figuring thing, yeah. that out isn't it it's about yeah. negotiating that and um yeah if you're ready to to go there i think that's a real positive thing isn't it yeah Moving into that discomfort, that's that's the place where we grow, isn't it? But yeah, well, I think there's a lot of that going confronting. on. Sorry? It can be very confronting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's probably a lot of that going on. You know, people have more time to think. I'm seeing, um, you know, some old trauma wounds coming up for some of my long-term clients that things that were put to rest um, or, you know, sitting quietly, I suppose, now that they've got more time on their hands to think, some of those old wounds are coming up again. So, and you know, these new difficulties can, I guess, awaken or reignite some of the old traumas because sometimes people are, you know, if you live with anxiety, you're sort of very close to the edge. So it doesn't take much to sort of awaken that again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kerry had another question. Uh, are there any podcasts or books you recommend for mindfulness, etc.? Um, absolutely. I love Eckhart Tolle. So I don't know if, um, Kerry's heard of Eckhart Tolle. So he's, um, some people find him a bit hard to listen to, but I think he's fantastic. Um, I've got a podcast, a bit of a shameless plug here, the Mindful Life podcast. So you can, um, tune into my podcast, Mindful Life podcast. Um, who else? Trying to think off the top of my head. Oh, Buddhist boot camp's a good one. That's sort of a bit more modern day contemporary. He's an ex monk. Um, and look, I actually like Russell Brand. Believe it or not, he's um a bit of a guru. I don't know if you've listened to much of his stuff. Um, Mick Russell Brand's podcast. Yeah, I love Russell Brand. Yeah, so he's yeah. oh look, he's such a um spiritual guru, but he just injects such humor as well. Um, I love a reverent spirituality. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I can't actually can't think. My mind's a bit scattered at the moment. I'm having a bit of trouble with recall. I think because it's so busy with other stuff. But if I do think of some, I'll put them. Um, I'll forward them to Mick, and you can put them um, maybe into the notes or into the comments, Mick. Um, yeah, I I have one that I was checking out on um, Audible. Mm. And it's actually a course in mindfulness, and I was actually loving it because the, the guy who um, who's doing it is just great to listen to, and his information is lovely. It's really accessible, really easy. Because I have um, read quite a few books on, on mindfulness and meditation, and and some of them it's just it's very dry and it's mm. very hard to absorb. And so when you you find somebody who's really uh, good, um, this guy is called Ronald Siegel. Um, and it's called The Science of Mindfulness. And the great thing is, as an audio book, um, you know, it's easier to, I find it more accessible. I find, you know, I listen to it when I'm driving to work or you know, so on in the car. Um, mm. And it's obviously harder to do the actual mindfulness practice while I'm driving. But some of the practices that he talks about are actually for when you're driving. You, yeah. know, you know, consciously observing the, the lights of the cars in front of you and things like that, mm. being consciously aware. But it, it's a great book. Um, it's an actual, it's a course. So it's it's quite long. And, and, and as I say, it's on Audible. It's called The Science of Mindfulness by, um, sorry, what was his name again? Someone Seagal. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, just for one second. I have it right here. Yeah. Ronald Siegel. Mm. 
So I, I'd recommend that one. I think even if you just look up uh, in the Apple podcast, just search mindfulness, lots of stuff comes up. Uh, one that I just thought of was um, Kristen Neff, so N-E-F-F, and she's a self-compassion expert. So self-compassion's a big part of mindfulness. So she's written some beautiful stuff on self-compassion and how to be kind to yourself when you're going through difficult times. Um, Pema Chodron is another one, C-H-O-D-R-O-N. So she's a Buddhist nun. So that's kind of heading down the Buddhist pathway. But look, she's, she's very... Um, contemporary as well like I think she's got a lot of stuff to say that really fits into the modern world as well but there's lots out I'll there heaps out there I'll give myself a plug as well I have a, an 18 minute meditation on my um podcast which is called more than wellness um and if you want to check that out there's a couple of meditations on the actual podcast mm. and there's a little bit of information about uh, breathing exercises as well which can be helpful so um Marianne's is Mindful Life and mine is More Than Wellness. So podcasts, great thing about them is they're free. Mm. You can listen to them anytime. Podcasts have been good during all this. I've been recommending yeah. my clients listen to podcasts. They're a good escape. You know, you're learning. Um, you know, you're using your mind in a productive way rather than worrying. Um, so, yeah, I think podcasts are a really good use of time. Um, now... So going back, I don't think we have any more questions there at the moment. So going back to some of the things that you brought up earlier on that you wanted to discuss. Um, the next one was reaching out. And mm. um, who, who to? Who would you recommend reaching out to? Look, um, you know, obviously there's support out in the community, which is, you know, as I said, it's, it's online in many ways. So people like myself, um, you know, you can reach out and have a telehealth session or, or walk and talk, but there's also a lot of telephone support services. So Beyond Blue, um, Beyond Blue now have a dedicated coronavirus support line. So what that basically means, and look, I know because I used to work for Beyond Blue, when they start to run these little offshoot programs, it means they train their staff up or they put new staff on and train them up in that specific need area. So the coronavirus support line is um, made up of people who are trained to manage, I suppose, this this kind of psychological difficulty. So I would highly recommend um, getting onto that support line. So you just need to Google Beyond Blue and the number's right there. Lifeline's another one, um, men's line, um, kids' helpline as well. So there's all those, Headspace, um, you know, there's lots of telephone support services that you can get onto and have a look. I know Beyond Blue and Headspace, I think, have, um, and Kids Helpline as well, have online um, counselling as well, where you can just sort of do the chat if you don't feel comfortable talking. So I think reaching out professionally. Um, and I think, Mick, what I want to highlight here um, is that if you're struggling, if anyone's struggling, you're not alone. Every all of us, you know, I'm not sure if I speak for you too, Mick, we're all struggling. Yeah. You know, everyone, <laughs> yeah. everyone is having some sort of difficulty as a result of this pandemic situation. Some people, you know, in my experience in the work I do, some people are fearful of getting the virus, but from what I've seen, they're in the minority. Most people are struggling and suffering because they've lost work or they're having financial difficulties or they're isolated, they haven't been able to see family and friends. Um, they're not able to do a lot of their usual activities, so they've lost a lot of their self-care. So if you're struggling, you're not alone. So there is no shame in reaching out. I would encourage you to reach out, whether that's to your own support networks um, or to get some sort of professional help. Um, you know, this, it, it's, it's a worldwide pandemic and I think, and Mick, you can talk to this a little bit as well, I think, we're, we're almost underneath this collective consciousness of fear and of anxiety. Um, and, you know, in some ways it is okay to be fearful, like the situation is scary at times. Um, but I think living under that collective fear, it can really make us all um, feel heavy and feel like we're all suffering and really affect our mental health, I think, as a, as a society, as a country, as a world. 
Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with that. We are experiencing just this mass sensation, yeah. tangible, you know, palpable feeling of fear yes. everywhere we go. I mean, I, I remember the first day I went back to work after being on parental leave. And, you know, I'm looking at, at, at the keyboard and the mouse and table and, and all these things. Like, oh, I can't touch anything. And I just had this, what, what yeah. do I do? Where do I? It's almost like I couldn't function for like the first few minutes as I was trying to process all these things that I had to do. And, and just normal things that I take for granted. Mm. Just, I, I was set, paralyzed by this, this sense of fear about it and, and you know, had to, to, to move through that. Um, but it, there was a thing you were talking about, about normalizing anxiety and going back to that guy, um, uh, Professor Siegel uh, and his, his book, Science and Mindfulness, he talks in, in that. He, he goes into a lot of the science um, of mindfulness, as, as the, the course is called. And one particular one he talked about is, is anxiety. And he mm. said, we're actually, and, and you probably know this, we're, we're built for anxiety as a species. Mm. You know, this is actually part of our you know survival mechanism and the way he described it was you know if you talking about you know australopithecus or you know ancient human being walking through the woods and and you know they see a bush and they see something beige behind the book he said you can make two or behind the bush you can make two mistakes you know that could be a beige rock that you're mistaking for a lion he said and that's your first mistake so your second mistake is that could be a line that you're mistaking for a beige rock. <laughs> in which case, that mistake is going to kill you. Yeah. So, you know, the, the ancient humans who were fearful and anxious and, and nervous about things, they stayed alive. And the ones who were happy-go-lucky and nice and chilled and calm and didn't care about anything, the chances are they died. Yeah. So our ancestors were the anxious ones who stayed alive. So we carry this survival mechanism as part of us. And, and we're coming to, I feel we're coming to a stage in, our evolution as a species where we've reached a point of conscious evolution. We can consciously choose to evolve. We can consciously take control of these um, emotions and feelings that once upon a time were, were totally automatic within us. But now we actually, through certain practices, we, we, we get to take control of that. But it is, it's, it's a big step for us. And I feel like almost this is an evolutionary opportunity for us as well to, to really start to, to take these things on. Mm. Um, but I guess, you know, we're in a position, I mean, I agree with you, we do need that fear and we do need to be in survival mode at times. Like, it, yeah, obviously back in the times you're talking about and back in times like caveman times, we needed that survival response or instinct. But generally in this day and age, we are not under threat. No. It's, no. it's not often, particularly here in Australia, this is the lucky safe country. It's not often that we are under threat. And this is what I talk to my clients who have anxiety, you know, even before all of this, that, that, you know, yes, we need fear and we need that response, but generally we're safe. But our system doesn't understand when we become fearful, when our mind tells us to be fearful of something, it's the same response in our body. We go into fight or flight. And, you know, what we saw a month ago was that people went into panic fight or flight and started panic buying toilet paper to feel safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're in, a lot of us have gone into this survival mode um, and look, yes, scary times. And I think, you know, a lot of this in terms of the lockdown and the restrictions that have been put in place needed to happen. But at times the fear is disproportionate to the threat. You know, um, we're yeah. living in a fairly... We're living in a lucky country, and if we look at the stats, and this is what I encourage my clients to do, and you know, I've got a few stats here. You know, our cases are fair, are very low compared to the rest of the world, and in terms of the deaths and the community transmission. Um, yes, we need to be safe and we need to protect the vulnerable, but there's a very high level of fear that people, some people, are living under. So I think um, trying to gain a bit of perspective. Um, and, you know, that's where the mindfulness comes in, trying to teach people to be in the moment, ground themselves, not look too far into the distance. It's hard as a culture. We want to know what's going to happen in two weeks. No. But, you know, particularly a few weeks ago, we were just living day by day by the seat of our pants. We didn't know what was going to happen the next day. Businesses were like, oh, we might be open tomorrow, we might not. So that's very destabilizing for people you know we we are a culture that like to plan so i think that's really hard but this is a, 
you know, believe it or not, this is an opportunity of sorts. It's about pausing and grounding yourself in the moment. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen more people exercising out in the street, walking than I ever have in my life. You know, there's people who are taking advantage of this situation, spending more time with family and just enjoying being in the moment, um, enjoying, you know, doing some things that they like to do. So that's a positive, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, I, I feel with that, with you, you're talking about the, the, you know, the, the effect of stress. And yes. I don't know, are you familiar with polyvagal theory? I had a bit of a look at your video before. So it's interesting, whenever people sort of throw this stuff at me, it's stuff that I know, but I don't know it is named that way, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I know all about the fight and flight yeah, and yeah. survival response and cortisol and yeah. adrenaline and noradrenaline and stuff, but yeah, I don't know it to be named polyvagal. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't really pronounced that right. <laughs> it's, it's Well, it's, it's the feelings and emotions that we have associated with it. And, and the thing is, you know, you're talking about that when we go into that fight or flight, or, our body doesn't know what's causing our stress. Our yes. mind knows that it's not a bear or a tiger that's chasing us. You know, that it's this anxiety about what's happening around us. Am I going to get COVID-19? Am I not going to get it? Mm. Am I not? But as far as your body's concerned, it's having the same effect on it as if you're being chased by a tiger. That's right. So, yeah, the emotions that you have, like panic, fear, anxiety, worry. And, and the other side of that is um, the rage and the anger and the irritation, all these these agitated emotions and feelings that rise up as a way of dealing with this, you know, mm. this stressor. It's the power of the and, mind. Yeah, yeah. It, well, the mind has just such a profound effect on the body. It, it regulates it in, in such a huge way, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, what I say to my clients in sessions sometimes, you know, if we sit and think of a positive memory, whether it be, I don't know, your wedding day or a first kiss or the birth of your child or something positive, how do you feel in your body? And, and my client will say, I feel good. You know, I feel like it's such a nice time. And then I'll say, let's think of a really sad memory, a distressing memory. How does your body feel? Oh, it feels horrible. I feel tense. So, you know, just thinking of um, a memory can create that sensation. So when we worry, when we worry about the future, and, you know, this is very obvious stuff, but sometimes we need to hear this. When we worry about the future, um, then, you know, our body thinks that we are living that, we're experiencing that in this moment, and it responds. It goes yeah. into that fight or flight. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it has such a huge effect. Um, sorry, I'm just looking here now because Kerry has asked another question, and mm -hmm. it's a really good question, actually. Um, so is there anything you can recommend uh, for keeping your relationship healthy during isolation together? Oh... <laughs> That's a hard one. Um, yeah. And I'm, I assume we're talking about intimate relationships here, relationships with your partner rather than with your kids, but I guess it kind of applies across the board. Look, I yeah. would say um, having so your Relationship own. rather than relationships. So, so relationship, okay. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm no expert. I'm not a relationship counsellor. Um, I have been with my husband for 30 years, but it's by no means perfect. <laughs> what I would say is um, space, believe it or not, and I think most people would agree, having space where you can um, I think is important um, obviously communication and I think that can be difficult you know I always say to my clients um, the two most important things in a healthy positive relationship are communication and compromise I don't know if you'd agree with that Mick <laughs> my, yeah my spiritual teacher uh, um, he refers to compromise as common promise Common promise. I love it. Um, and look, those things are challenges. Um, you know, obviously talking as much as you can. Um, and yeah, look, it's, it's a hard one. I really don't have the answer for that. I, you know, I guess if there are specific difficulties, maybe they need to be addressed. Um, maybe it's about getting some support as well. Um, see it as an opportunity to spend quality time. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of families that are playing board games and doing things together. Um, you know, I don't know if that's that's an option within your relationship, Kerry, doing some positive stuff together, using it as an opportunity. I think people with small children are finding it very hard. I'm lucky I've got um, teenagers, not that my husband and I can go anywhere, but um, yeah, I guess we have a bit more space because our kids are older. 
So yeah, it's it's a hard one. I think, you know, times like this, like I know the bushfires. I lived through the King Lake bushfires, and and there were relationships that ended as a result. So yeah, I guess it's interesting that um, you know this will impact relationships as well, and if it's not already. Yeah. It certainly will. I, I totally agree. Space is, is, is a huge one, and and you know communication. I think is a, is, a, is a huge one. My wife is, is a great communicator. She just talks and talks. And the opposite, I tend not to open up and stuff. So yeah, and compromise. My compromise. I have to talk more. Um, and you know she challenges me to to communicate when oftentimes I don't want to. But you know over the years that's really helped to open me up, and and I feel like it's it's. Um, I'm better because of it, because mm. of that uh, communication, and it's such a huge part. And you know, when I, I think back, um, you know, when when you, you have regrets, you, you oftentimes you have regrets about more so about what you didn't say rather than what mm. you did say. I'm not saying you don't have regrets about what you did say. <laughs> oftentimes <laughs> you do. I've said some stupid things to people in the past, but they don't carry the same weight sometimes for me as the things that I wish I'd said. Yeah, so true. I think also highlighting that we're all dealing with this in a different way. Um, you know, some people want to talk nonstop about it and others don't want to. So I think respecting that as well, you know, I'm hearing yep. from my clients, particularly female clients that, um, you know, hubby's struggling. I can see he's snappy or he's grumpy, but, it, you know, he's not actually talking about his distress or what's worrying him or what's bothering him. And without me generalizing in terms of gender too much, that does seem to be the case with men that often they'll shut down, they'll bottle it up and, and maybe it just comes out in their behaviour as well. So I think giving each other the space, being available to talk, but also accepting that people deal with things, you know, in their own way as well. But look, perhaps I can use this opportunity to um, encourage men to reach out as well if they're needing some support. Um, you know, men's line is anonymous, it's confidential. Um, you know, you can call up, you don't have to give your name and, and have a bit of a chat um, because I think for men, you know, I know a lot of men um, have their social networks in terms of sporting clubs and activities that they participate in. So they're missing out on that at the moment. And, you know, I don't know whether men are as likely to do what we're doing here. Like, I'm not sure um, whether that's sort of a thing, you know, a mate's going to Zoom each other or FaceTime each other. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe it's about texting, but yeah, and and on that note, encouraging um, you know men to reach out to each other as well, provide that support. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's I I often recommend um to patients, often to men, that um it's good to see a counselor too as yeah. part of my treatment because in Chinese medicine, um when when we're treating a particular condition, every organ has mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical functioning. So. When I'm treating something, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm more often than not, I'm treating the physical aspect of it. Mm. But I know there's there's spiritual, emotional, psychological aspects to it too. So I'll often say, look, I think it's worthwhile seeing a counselor too. Mm. Like somebody comes back to me and I'm like, well, why do you recommend a counselor? Like, well, you know, first off, it's not my interest to tell you to go see a counselor because I want to treat the physical aspect of your pain. Mm. But it's in your interest to do that. And as a practitioner, I want you to feel better. So that's why I'm recommending that you go do that. Mm. Um, and sometimes. You know, guys in particular be like, well, I don't see the benefit of that. I don't see why, you know, my problem is because this person does this and this person does this and it's not fitting in. It's like, sometimes you just need someone to talk to and just download to, you yeah. know, even if they don't have the solutions for you, just to be able to say, oh, shit day today, and, you know, this, that and the other happened. I think too, because men can sometimes be fixers. So they're kind of like, hey, yeah. it's not yeah. going to fix me talking to someone. The problem will still be there. But I'm always confident if I can get a bloke through the door once and just let him vent and just listen without judgment, without criticism, um, you know, they'll see the benefit and I'll get them back. So, yeah, look, I think talking and it's it's so vital and um, sometimes once they start, you know, it's a bit like a floodgate. So that's, you know, the floodgates open. Um, but... Yeah, look, I think what I'm seeing too is um, that some people are experiencing mental health symptoms for the first time in their life. You know, some people have never um, felt anxious before or had lowered mood. And so they're experiencing um, isolation or they've lost their job or, you know, this is a big upheaval for them. So they're um, feeling 
symptoms or feelings that they've never felt before and it can be quite scary so I think yeah just highlighting again that that's quite normal under the circumstances and um, you know it's not going to last forever that you know we're all going through this um, everyone's journey is different what did I hear today we're not all in the same boat we're in the same storm some some people's boats have more holes than others it was something like that <laughs> <laughs> do you like that yeah. so you know pardon that's a good analogy. It is, isn't it? Because, you know, if we keep saying we're all in the same boat, no, your boat's bigger than mine. A bit like Ellen saying that she's living in a $15 million prison. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah we're, we're, we've all got our own experiences um, and no one's experiences are any less valid than the next person's. You know, I was talking to a woman uh, yesterday who said, I'm still working, my husband's still working, but I'm really stressed about homeschooling, but I feel like I shouldn't have counselling for that reason. I said, of course you should. If that's something that's making you feel stressed and like you need support, of course. You know, she, I guess she felt like her issues weren't valid because she hadn't lost anything. Um, yeah. you know, she's We're still, always comparing, aren't we? We are. And, you know, that I'm not worthy. Well, you don't have to be everyone's worthy, but, you know, there's no rating system. Anyone can get yeah. support. And I hear that quite a lot in my work, you know. Oh, there's people worse off than me. Okay, there may be, but don't diminish people your better own. better off too. Pardon? There's people better off too. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. True. Um, so uh, the next thing that I had on the list here um, that you mentioned was not feeling pressure to do stuff. Mm, yes. So... When all this started, I don't know if you've seen a whole lot of memes out there. There's some really funny ones. You know, I need to be social distancing myself from the fridge. That's probably one of my favourite ones. <laughs> but, you know, some yeah. some memes that made you laugh, but also some memes that could make you feel a bit inadequate. And there was one that said, um, you know, if you don't have abs by the end of this, your excuse of not having time was not valid. You know, you were just being lazy. or You know, something like that. So yeah. this idea that we should be making something of this time and I remember reading someone saying you know in six months time when you look back on this will you think you've wasted you know all those months doing nothing sitting in your pajamas or did you write a book or did you I don't know do something really creative and productive I don't think uh, people need any more pressure um, if you want to do that stuff do it but don't feel pressured to do it I think you just need to do what you need to do to get through um, for some people, they're getting that creative bug. You know, there's a few people doing DIY stuff. Um, but for some people, it's an effort to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I had a, a friend who posted a, a, a post of today to them. Since this started, um, I haven't eaten any meat or any dairy. Um, and I, I've been walking every day for 10 kilometers i've been exercising for three hours a day and you know i've lost 15 kilos mm. and she said um i don't know whose post this is but i was so proud of my thought i'd share it <laughs> yeah there you go that's yeah. funny that's funny look it's a really hard time you know there's a collective trauma that we're all going through you know this collective consciousness of fear and anxiety and i think um just coping, just getting through is enough. Um, you know, if you're just getting yourself to work and for some people that's an ordeal, just getting to work in terms of organizing childcare or if you're working from home, you know, all of that's really stressful. We've had a massive upheaval. So don't, you know, don't give in to that pressure. I think just do, do you do what you want to do. Yeah. Well, I, I Chandra last week, um, she had a day where she, she did loads. She got loads done the next day. She said, I didn't do anything today. I'm like, you had a baby yeah. two and a half weeks ago. You don't have to do anything at all. The fact that you did loads yesterday was probably unnecessary. Just take it easy. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of our culture, isn't it? That we always feel like we're going to be doing, doing, doing instead of just being. Yeah. So, you know, I try and teach my clients and, you know, you'd relate to this to just slow down, be in the moment. You know, we don't have to, I know this stuff we've got to do. I know we have to do the doing, but just slowing down and just being, um, it's okay. I don't know why. Well, I do know why it's hard for us because then maybe, I don't know, the thinking mind takes over or the guilt kicks in or I don't mm -hmm. know. 
it's about the mind, isn't it, really, that the mind just wants us to keep moving? And, yeah, I think it's often the avoidance of that intimacy with ourselves. Yes. Yeah, yeah back to that. Exactly yeah. right. That relationship with yourself. Yeah. So a few of the things that are coming up now um, is specific to mindfulness and um, mindfulness practice. And, yeah. and the, the words that you uh, used were acceptance, um, impermanence, gratitude and empathy Mm. yeah so i think um and i've just done a podcast episode on this acceptance you know the first month or so of this first few weeks we were all struggling there was so much resistance you know we uh were forced into a democracy that we had never experienced before in our life you know i would say for the chinese the democracy that was forced on them They're quite accustomed to that. Um, They're living under a communist regime, but we're not. This is the free, the land of the free. So all of a sudden we were told, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to do this. Um, So there was a lot of resistance from people. um, But I think the moment we started to accept, okay, this is the new normal, this is what it's going to be, acceptance was hard. And even for someone like myself who practices mindfulness, Um, teachers mindfulness I found it very hard to move into acceptance Um, even accepting that I had to stop seeing clients face to face but the moment I started to accept that this was the new normal I then could move forward and put things into place to create that new normal so I think when we accept when we stop resisting and it's a big part of mindfulness we're more at peace and we can just move forward and do what we need to do and I think part of the next part of that is impermanence. So impermanence, they talk a lot about that in Buddhism. Um, it just basically means that nothing in life is permanent. Things change all the time. Um, everything is transient. So, you know, that statement that a lot of people know, this too shall pass, you know, that's at the heart of impermanence. So, you know, impermanence has helped me get through a lot of my own difficulties, knowing that it's not always going to be the way it is at that time. So impermanence and acceptance, I think, were a big part of me accepting the situation. Um, And I think if people can lean on those principles, um, I think it's hard because there's no end date. We don't know. That's the most difficult thing. You know, as a society, we like to know when, um, yeah, when we can go to the next thing or do the next thing or make our plans. And I think that's hard when you don't know what's in the future. So that's, and part of that's patience, isn't it? Being patient too yeah which is hard and then you know the empathy and compassion well like i said before we're not in the same boat we're in the same storm so a lot of us are getting the same stuff thrown at us we're all experiencing difficulties so we can it's a fantastic opportunity to show kindness and compassion and empathy because if i say to you i'm really struggling You know, you can empathize because you're feeling similar. You know, when often someone will talk about their struggles, we can't relate because we haven't been through that or we don't know what that's like. But, you know, this is the one time ever that the whole world can relate. Like, obviously, there's different problems. Yeah, there's different scales. You know, obviously, if I was talking to someone in New York at the moment, um, I could have empathy and understanding, but, um, you know, their boat's got a lot more holes in it than mine does, doesn't it? Mm So, but you can still have that shared compassion and and empathy and understanding. So, you know, I think it's a lot easier for us to then be kind, you know, those scenes of people, you know, giving away toilet paper to to people who missed out and people turning up to elderly people's house with groceries. And so, you know, all those beautiful mindfulness virtues, I think, are really helpful and if we can lean on those and try and, I don't know, make sense of this, I suppose, it can help us to get through or help us be stronger. And gratitude. Yeah, gratitude. I missed that one. I don't know. I think gratitude's a pretty big one. A lot of us are probably very grateful for what we're missing out on now. We're thankful for what we have in our life. We'll be grateful for when those things come back. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful to live in this country. Never have I felt more grateful to live in this country. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I feel very grateful to be here. Yeah. Because Um, we're being well looked after. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. we are. It, it's funny because it, all the political differences seem to be put aside for the moment. You know, Amazing, like, isn't it? Doing quite well. And what I find really fascinating right now is, is so many of these uh, fairly right-wing governments around the world have just completely pivoted into socialism, pure outright socialism. Yeah. Um, to, to deal with this, you know, just giving money to everybody. We're all in this together. And it's, it's really interesting in, in the moment of, of great need where we actually have to we realize we have to look out for each other. It's not just every man for himself. Mm. You know, we're all in this together and mm. let each other through it. And that's really what this is about, this lockdown, because, you know, for a lot of us, we're not usually at risk with uh, COVID-19. Um, when mm. you, you look at the actual um, statistical figures for Australia, for, for where people are, the, those who are exposed to it, the highest exposure is in the 20s and 30s, 30s and 40s and so on. But the highest actual deaths are in the 70s, 80s and 90s. That's right. And it's so disproportionate. And the reason we're all in lockdown is to protect those who are really vulnerable. Well, it's the ultimate That's... sacrifice, isn't it? Yeah. You know, to, to say, all right, I'm going to give up lots of stuff some some people have given up almost everything they've given up their jobs um you know they've given up a lot of their activities um and networks and they're doing that for others so it's the ultimate act of compassion and kindness um there are people who aren't happy about that i don't know what your facebook feed looks like but i do have people that you know don't believe we should be in lockdown and you know that that it's a lot of fuss over nothing, but I think, you know, I don't want to get into that too much, but I think the reason where, where, where we're at stating something very obvious is because we have gone into, um, you know, the lockdown and the, the self-isolation. We went into that so early. So, you know, I think that that's what saved us. I mean, it's, I know that's an obvious thing, but I don't know what, what's, what's the answer to, there's no other answer to that. Is there really? I mean, that's the action that saved us so far. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I feel that the attitude of gratitude yes. is such a fundamental part of um, well-being. You know, when you have an attitude of gratitude, I feel like life is so much easier. Mm. And forgiveness too. Forgiveness is a, is, a, is a much harder one, I think, to, mm. to get your head around than... than uh, gratitude and uh, not that gratitude is, is difficult too but um to, if you can master those two um you really are onto a winner in life well they say that gratitude is not compatible with um lowered mood so you know you can't be feeling flat and experiencing gratitude at the same time so anytime you're grateful you are um yeah i guess you you're injecting positivity into your system even for a short yeah. time yeah i'm grateful that i have a home to, mm. to be in while i'm in lockdown yeah um, and grateful to be in in such a privileged country absolutely um, yeah and, and that has been you know we've been protected so much in this country mm. We yeah, sure and have. I feel like you know, not to knock Ireland. Ireland's done uh, quite well as well. Um, I think overall, in managing it, they they acted very early and very very decisively as well, just like Australia. But I guess it does it does benefit both places to be islands. <laughs> yeah, to, to shut it down. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're so far from everyone, aren't we? Yeah. Mm. Um. So what I've been looking at here, creating opportunities. I think that was the the last thing mm. that you had on the list that you wanted to talk about. And um, I going back to something you said earlier. I, I don't know if it's true or not. And I, I really I love to think that it is that the Japanese have the same word for crisis that they do for opportunity. Yes, I've read that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said, I don't know if it's true, mm. but uh, I, I love the idea that it is. Yeah. Well, I think. I say this to my clients quite often. Sometimes people have to hit rock bottom in order to make a change. And I know that's a bit different to what we're going through here, but sometimes when people are in crisis, it's then an opportunity to do things differently because what they've been doing in the past hasn't worked. 
So, you know, people losing jobs, um, perhaps they might go in another direction. You know, I've got a client who's talking about going back to study and changing career paths. So from this can come opportunities. Um, it can be really hard to see the silver lining, but um, yeah, I think it's exciting to think outside the box and to um, yeah, be encouraged to do things differently. You know, I've discovered this walk and talk therapy, which I'm really excited about. And I would never have done that if this hadn't have happened. So yeah, I don't know about you, whether there's any new opportunities for you or different ways always, of doing things. Yeah, always there's new opportunities. I think just, you know, to be part of the community, to be more yes. involved. Yes, yeah. Great opportunity and, and I'm grateful for that. Yep, so meeting different people, connecting with different yeah. people in all of this. Yeah, that, that's that's been a big one for me, that sense of community. You know, yeah. I feel uh, the community has really come together. And I think, you know, uh, I get the sense that maybe Doreen has done that more so than maybe a lot of other communities as well. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's certainly the sense that I feel and I feel a mm. great sense of that, that you've been part of this community. Yeah, well, it's, you know, there's a lot of families here. So a lot of young families, I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it, but yeah, people are connected through the schools and there's that support network anyway. So it just kind of, yeah, follows on from there, perhaps. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, I think we've covered quite a lot. We've, we've pretty much gone through most of the things that um, we wanted to talk about that we have on the list. Is there anything else you can think of, Maria? I think I'd probably just quickly talk a little bit about self-care. Like I know we've talked about connection, um, but I think as much as possible in this, um, you know, pandemic situation, the self-isolation situation, if you can have routines in place, um, it can be hard, I know, but routines and healthy habits can help us get through. Um, sleep is really important. So making sure you're getting adequate sleep, which I know is quite hard. People's routines are a bit out of whack and perhaps people are having trouble sleeping because there's a lot on their mind, but just trying to get that adequate sleep, um, healthy diet. That's, that's a challenge. There's a lot of comfort eating going on, but as much as you can, having a, a healthy diet, I think is really important for health and well-being. Um, movement is really important. So a lot of people are missing their gyms. Uh, what we know about movement and mental health um, is that exercise um, creates and promotes those feel-good endorphins, which helps um, our mood and helps us to find joy and be happy. So a lot of gyms are now running their sessions via Zoom. That's how I'm um, getting my workouts. So uh, that's convenient. I just do that in the garage. But there's a lot of stuff available online. Um, but even just going for a walk every day, just getting out, getting some exercise, getting some fresh air, um, I think is really important for your uh, mental health. Um, reaching out and getting support, we've already talked about. Limiting your media exposure, I think, because that can obviously drive that fear and that anxiety. So just watching, you know, keeping an eye on what you watch, uh, so to speak. Um, I tend to just look up the websites um, or listen to the press releases um, from um, the you know the people in leadership I think yeah otherwise if you're watching all of that sensationalized media it can just feed some of the fear so it's important for perspective and just your self-care you know meditation um, you know things like yoga are really good doing some calming activities um, doing things you enjoy Things like movies are a great escape. Reading, um, reading's a great escape. I think discovering reading, a lot of us have kind of let reading go, I think with the invention of devices. So getting back into reading and just slowing down and enjoying the extra time that we've all got. Yeah, um, another one that I, I just remembered, speaking of mindfulness, yep. uh, is uh, colouring in. Mm. Um, because there are... Um, there's actually a guy from Melbourne. Uh, he wrote a book called The Neuroscience of Mindfulness. His name is Stan Rodsky. Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot of actual uh, mindfulness coloring books. Mm. And that can be a, a great way as well. Absolutely. Um, coloring books for adults. Yep. Mm. Yeah, well, you can even just um, 
you know, just go online and, and just Google that adult coloring and you'll get some PDFs and stuff that come up that you can just print off. Yeah. So that's some lovely stuff that you can do with your kids um, or, you know, on your own if you want some space. Um, but, and, you know, you've, you've just made me think that creative stuff, like get creative um, if you feel like it, you know, do some um, some stuff that, that helps you be in the moment and, and takes you away from your thoughts. I think anything that takes you away from your thoughts has got to be positive and helpful. Mm-hmm. If your thoughts are troubling you. Pardon? Don't pressure yourself. Don't pressure yourself. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Projects are good, but don't pressure yourself. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Um, well, I, I think that's it. That was really awesome. So, just recapping then how to get in touch. Yes. With us. Uh, Marianne Eve, you can Google Marianne. Um, yeah. Or you can look up uh, Lorimer Mental Health Counseling and Mindfulness. Yep. And you will come up there. So you are local to Doreen. Yes. I've been Lorimer for nine years. Yeah. I've seen it grow. There was just a Woolies in the main yeah. street when I first got here. So it's grown a lot. Yeah. Um, and the podcast is Mindful Life. Podcast, yeah. It's on everything. It's on iTunes and Google and Spotify and wherever else you, you, you can find podcasts. Can I just plug my kids' podcast as well? I've yep. got a kids' yep. mindful meditation podcast uh, where I just read out my uh, kids' mindfulness meditations. So a lot of the kids I work with listen to those. Uh, it helps them with sleep and relaxation. So that's that's just another free support um, strategy or tool. And so what's that one called? It's called um, Kids Mindfulness Meditations, a podcast for kids. If for any reason you have found the content of today's podcast triggering or distressing in any way, please consider accessing some professional support. Australian mental health telephone support numbers are listed in the show notes. Are you feeling tired or are you under stress? Are you overloaded or just generally feeling overwhelmed? Well, I'm really excited to share a very special stress reduction tool that I've been using and recommending to my clients for a number of years. Calm is the number one app for meditation, relaxation and sleep. With over 21 million downloads and achieving the Apple app of the year in 2017, Calm is so perfectly aligned with all that I do as a mental health professional and all that I teach here at the Mindful Life podcast. It is the perfect stress relief strategy and the perfect mindfulness tool. The app has so many fantastic and easy to use features, including Daily Calm, a brand new 10 minute meditation every day, 100 plus guided meditations covering anxiety, focus, gratitude, and so much more, 80 plus sleep stories to settle the mind, and relax the body exclusive music tracks for focus relaxation and sleep calm masterclass featuring world-renowned mindfulness experts my personal favorites include sleep stories and i've recently discovered calm music which i have on a continuous loop at my practice in counseling sessions and in classes I also love the Calm Masterclass videos, which cover some fantastic topics, including gratitude, happiness, and mindful eating. And not to mention all the great features the app now offers for kids, including sleep stories, meditations, and lullabies. I'm so very excited to be partnering with Calm to bring you, my listeners, some amazing offers. Calm is so generously offering the Mindful Life podcast listeners a free, four-week subscription to the Calm Premium app. All you need to do is head to the following link, calm.com forward slash calm health trial. That's calm.com forward slash calm health trial. And just follow the prompts to enjoy your free four-week trial of Calm Premium. You'll be feeling calm, relaxed, and at peace in no time. You've been listening to the Mindful Life podcast with your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator. 
If you'd like further information or you'd like to connect, feel free to make contact via Facebook or Instagram under the handle Mindful Life Podcast or via email mindfullifepodcast at gmail.com.